strong. Well, it's a monumental day on the Triax Performance Podcast as we have our very first guest on the show. After a year, we finally got someone who isn't a relative of ours as well. We might add that in. So we've got a well-established practitioner in the strength and conditioning world. But firstly, I'll introduce the two drongos to join me as always. We've got Sean. Welcome to you, mate. Hey, Rob. How are you, mate? Mate, it's very good to see you after your half marathon you completed on the weekends. How are you feeling after that, mate? Yeah, everything's still still very sore. Um, still struggling to walk, but glad glad we got through it. So it was a good weekend. Mate, and, and how much preparation did you have for that run, Sean? Just yeah. out of interest? Yeah, not a lot. It was on the back of a uh, sort of a two week two week turnaround of finding out that this was going to happen and then actually running it. So um, not ideal. Um, only a few running sessions in, but would have been nice to get a few more in. But oh well. Well, mate, being from Packham, you've obviously had a lot of experience running away from the authorities in your youth, so it should have come naturally to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll let that one through the keeper. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we've also got Damo, the head honcho. Welcome to you, Damo. You also completed the half marathon on the weekend. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, in a similar position to Shawnee, uh, the body is not quite right yet. Uh, got overtaken by a few grannies this morning on the recovery walk, so hopefully... Uh, back to it in a couple of days beautiful mate well it's, it's great to see you both uh, alive and well and and congrats to you sean for the amount of money you raised on that and for the the run for rossi campaign as well which i still think you can donate as well so we'll have some links up in that show notes uh because it's a really worthy cause and it's credit to everyone involved with the frankston footy club to get around that so well done to you boys but now with great it's with great pleasure in the trice performance podcast we welcome our very first guest off the top now we're joined by Jacob Tober. Uh, Jacob is a strength and conditioning coach and most recently an app developer extraordinaire who is the head of, head of research and education at Metric, which is a revolutionary app that enables lifters and coaches the ability to track their velocity, power and fatigue using just their smartphone camera. Sounds pretty that's, good. Welcome, Jacob. That's, that's the plan. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Rob. How are we doing, fellas? Very Mate, good. It's a very pleasure. good. It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. It's, uh, as we said, it's our first guest, so we're very excited, mate, to have you on with us. I'm glad I could be of service. Yeah, I'm ex- looking forward to having a good chat. Mate, beautiful. So off the, off the top, do you want to maybe give us a bit of a, a background as to, to who you are and some of your education experiences along the journey thus far? Yeah, I think the very first thing I should do is just be clear, I'm not the developer extraordinaire. Uh, I've, I've helped design the app. I've helped come up with the concept. Uh, I'm doing a lot of the work in making it. But in terms of actually code writing, I've written, I believe it is a total of zero lines of code to this point. So uh, all the credit there goes to my brother, Davey, who's our head of research and development and our computer scientist and our engineer. Um, he's the one who came up with the concept for, Matt, for Metric and, and got it patented. It is an invention. Um, and uh, he did all that work. Uh, so I'm the VBT guy and the sports scientist, but he's the actual engineer putting all the code and making the computer vision work. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. Down the track. But I thought I'd just get that out of the way. Don't feel like I'm going to steal all this. <laughs> they might listen to this and, and get angry with me, which, is, which would be completely fair enough. Um, but yeah, so my background is uh, strength and conditioning. I did my sports science degree at Deakin. I think I graduated back in 2013, which is becoming a long way in the distance now as 
getting a little bit scared as I've passed 30 this year. Um, but Ooh. since since then, in 2013, I've been working at Core Advantage full-time my entire professional career, effectively. So I started there with the internship during my last year, loved what the company was about. We were back at someone else's gym, kind of just renting space at the time, loved the vision for where it was going and just got on board as effectively a, a business partner at, 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 in an early stage and then sort of a, a key part of, of making that transition from just renting space in someone else's gym into our own high-performance facility, which happened about, yeah, two years after I started there. And so I've gone through many roles at Core Advantage as we kind of worked out our team and our team changes over time. As you do, people people move on, people come in, things like that. Um, but I was the head coach of the training at one point, but that was never really my best place. And so I moved from that into more of a head of education kind of role. So I would run the internship. Um, Shawnee would have good experience of that. So I would run the internship in terms of practicals, actually having the interns come in sit through sessions, teaching, things like that, uh, and also the research behind what content we should deliver and what sort of things are important to teach. Because the Court of Internship is kind of about taking what I've spent, you know, eight, nine years now doing, what Durham spent 20 years doing and condensing it down into 20 weeks and going, okay, if we could start again, what were the key things we would want to know before we even started our careers and sort of give our, our students a, a kickstart with that that knowledge. Um, and so was in that role for a long time doing the education, still I am part of that as well. But now most of my role is yet pivoted into building this product metric. So still a sports science education kind of role, but less about teaching interns and more about building a product that's going to serve the wider strength and conditioning sports science industry, I suppose, if you will, once we, once we launch in the next month or so. Mate, it's pretty exciting, uh, just the, the concept of it and, and what we've done our own research on. So it's a, first it's credit, credit to you for designing, not developing. I'll make the distinction <laughs> yep. just so David is kept happy. But maybe, if, so the, the app is based on this thing called velocity-based training. So Correct. that's a, it's a, and we're all familiar with uh, this, like the term and the, and the methodology behind it. But maybe if you can give us, I guess, and, and the audience a bit of a general overview as to what this is based upon and, and sort of the, the rationale behind this, this type of training that you know, that metric helps to facilitate. Yeah, so I suppose the name velocity-based training is an interesting one. I think it's kind mm. of the wrong name. So people, you hear that and people think, oh, I'm doing light weights, I'm throwing the bar into the roof, you know, Olympic lifting, jumps with squat with barbells, things like that. The idea that you're training at high velocity. But really what we're doing is we're just taking velocity, which is just another metric or another way of sort of quantifying our training. So, you know, we, we measure reps, we measure sets, we measure rest times, how much weight's on the bar, tempo, things like that. Velocity of the movement is just another way of measuring how well you lift it. So you might lift 100 kilos one week, for example. When Whatever velocity you lift that way, that, that will change between the weeks. And so you can use that as an indicator of maybe how fatigued you are. So, for example, Sean and Damo, you guys did your half marathon on the weekend. If we got you under the bar and started doing your, your normal warm-up sets for your squats today, my guess would be that your velocities would be like through the floor. They would be moving slower. You know, range of motion might be a bit shorter because you're pretty stiff through your ankles potentially in your calves. Like your performance on those lifts would be able to measure with velocity, range of motion, those kind of metrics and go, mm, today's not the day to push hard. Today is probably a day where we should just do some warm-up sets, do some easy stuff, get some blood flow, move on, recover, and then wait till later in the week when those velocities pick back up. And then maybe that's now time to start pushing back into regular training. So it's really just a way of quantifying the quality of your training. You know, we, we talk about RPE, we kind of measure things like that. We go, oh, that was an eight out of 10. Velocity helps add to that and go, well, it was an eight out of 10. 
and yes, it was a slow rep. So that was a tough set. So I should probably you know, adjust my training accordingly. It almost reminds me or I kind of make comparisons to almost using GPS units out on the field. They're not a, um, it's not a training methodology. It's more just a way of tracking, tracking what you're doing as opposed to, to using that to dictate your whole session. Exactly. It's not GPS-based training. Yeah. We're just doing football training and our running work and we're using GPS data to help us make good decisions. Around that. That's a perfect analogy. And so people very often, and we're still in the early days with velocity based training, I think. I think it's still very a very young science and a very young application. People kind of get into a camp. It's like you have to be a velocity-based training guy. And so once you become that guy or that girl, that coach, you've got no choice but to only use velocity. It's like RPE goes out the window, percentages of you know, 1RM go out the window, you know, using rest periods and tempos, they go out the window. It's like, well, no, it's just another piece that adds into that. So when you're using GPS, it doesn't mean you don't do 20-meter sprints. Just because the GPS can't measure those 20-meter sprints doesn't mean it's not a good training method. Yeah. And so same here, you would use velocity training when it's appropriate on the right exercises at the right time. And so sometimes you might track peak metrics. You might look at peak power output, for example, on Olympic lifts or jump squats. Then other times with, say, your deadlifts or your bench press, you might look at mean velocity or range of motion or tempo. You can get all these pieces of data out of good velocity-based training devices or technology. Um, yeah. Where did you first come across it, though? So when, when did you actually start to adapt this or use this form of training as, a, yes. as, as your practice going forward? Yeah, so the, the technology has been around for a while now. So the first, they're called linear positional transducers, which is effectively just a string on a spring that's connected to the bar. And as you lift, it uncoils, it's measured in the device and tells that, that those numbers to a screen or to an iPad or something like that. So linear positional transducers or LPTs, they've been around since like 99, 2000. So they've been around for a while. And yeah. so Durham, who's the, the founder at Cordange and, and, and my boss effectively, he has had one since I think 2010. And so when I started an internship in 2013, we would get it out from time to time and we'd put it on the bar and we'd have little competitions and we'd give the athletes different metrics to kind of chase. And instantly I was like, that's, that's what we should be doing. It just makes so much sense that we should be measuring velocity when we train. We spend all this time worrying about doing the right sets and reps and making sure we're doing the right load and percentage of 1RM. Velocity, it's a little trickier to measure or it has been mm. before metric came along. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's such a valuable metric that we really need to be measuring that and on a regular basis, seeing how that's tracking over time. So if you do a half marathon on a weekend, you know, and you can use objective data to see how much mm. of a hole you're in. Not just go, yeah, I'm, and you guys know right now that you're stiff and sore. So we, can, we could guess pretty well that you're going to be 10, 20% down, but maybe 10 days from now, you're still 10% down. So there's still this neural fatigue. Your body might be feeling better. Your joints might be recovered, but your nervous system might still be fried. And so velocity based training will give us the ability to calibrate that on a really specific level. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of knew about it vaguely from 2013. It was very early on then. There wasn't much writing or research being done on it. And then more products and more ideas and more people started talking about it on podcasts and blogs and doing courses and things like that. And just, it just kept coming back. I kept hearing other things like, oh, that's a really clever way to do that. And then about two, two and a half years ago, I went really deep. I made a course that we got on our website online. Um, and then we, yeah, I started training with my brother and we started talking about how we would do it if we were going to build our own product. Uh, and initially, we sort of thought about building our own hardware, building our own string on a bar. Uh, and the more we tried that, the more we realized the problem wasn't building a different hardware. It was actually just getting rid of hardware altogether. That was really where we sort of came with it. 
like, let's just get rid of the hard work. Get that out of the way. You stop that being a, a burden and a, a trouble and an issue when you're training and just put it, you know, your phone, put it on a little tripod, put it in the corner, hit record and away you go. Is it something that you think that you need to have a coach working with you for? Like say for someone that's never used VBT before, they got no idea what it means. Is someone like that able to use it or do you think you need that extra um, expertise from someone else? Yeah, so the expert, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the expertise helps, but I don't think it's essential. So I think oftentimes, and we're, st- we're still in that transition point from an early science into a sort of mature, more established method. I think just like GPS, when it started, it was expensive, it was cumbersome, you didn't really know what you were doing with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Whereas now most people, most amateur runners have GPS on their watch and they can see that, they can see pace, they can see incline, they can see all these different variables and go, oh, that session was good, bad, slow, fast, whatever it might be. And so it's the same thing with velocity based training. It's just we're 10 years behind GPS. Yeah. So yeah. currently a lot of a lot of the methods for using VBT are quite sophisticated and they're the ones being talked about a lot. You know, load velocity profiling, one RM estimates. These are good methods and good strategies, but they are just that. They're just a method or a strategy. It's not the only thing you can do. One of the simplest things you can do with velocity data is just compare yourself week on week. So one week you do your 100 kilo deadlift and you're at 0.6 meters per second. Next week you come in and you do it at 0.62. Well, that's progress. You're a little bit faster, a little more explosive than you last, were last week. So having a coach is good to do those, you know, sophisticated profiling and testing and sort of those sort of methods. But for the really basic stuff, just competing against yourself, competing against the person next to you, trying to lift a little faster each week or a little go a little longer range of motion or a little more power, that's really easy. That's just augmented feedback. That's just objective feedback beyond just how much weight's on the bar, but how well you're lifting or how uh, explosively you're moving. And so we can set new goals and new targets, if you like, or, or zones that we want to lift within just based on last week's performance. So last week I did you know, 80, 100, 120 at this speed, this speed, and this speed. Next week I'll try and beat all those sets. I'll try and do the same number of reps and, and, and weight, but I'll try and do them all a little bit faster or with a little less fatigue or a little faster tempo or slower tempo if your goal is hypertrophy maybe you want to actually go the opposite and use velocity training to slow your training down in a rehab or a hypertrophy setting these are all really good options so a lot of the time you'll read you know a beginner's guide to velocity training they'll talk about you have to do this you have to use the speed zone you have to train at starting strength or speed strength or strength speed or whatever it might be it's not the case you can do whatever you want like it's just another metric use that how you will i think competing with yourself and getting feedback week on week and trying to beat yourself is one of the easiest, best ways that anyone could do. Yeah. I think it's a good way to not uh, not to sort of take focus away from just the, the weight on the bar or the weight you're lifting as well. Mm, yeah. It's just another, because I think a lot of people do get caught up in those numbers and it's like, well, why haven't I, been, why haven't I improved the weight on the bar, yeah. but you're actually um, yeah. doing it, say, more efficiently or faster as you mentioned, if you're comparing just yourself, how long do you think you need to sort of accrue data to make meaningful comparisons to your, to your past performances? Yeah. So the simple answer is one session. Yeah. Like if I, if I do a session, we'll use the deadlift again. I do 60, 80, 100, 120, and then I've got my working sets at 130, for example. Once I've done one set of 130 and I'll go into my next set of 130, I can compare that second set to that first set. And so within a session, you can already start making assessments based on how you go. So I might have planned to do five by five at 130, but on the fourth set, my velocity is falling off by like 20%. 
Yeah. So I was hitting 0.6s, now I'm hitting 0.4s for, for metres per second sort of speeds. I might not need that fifth set. It might be a good idea just to either do a back-off set, do a, do a triple instead of a set of five, or just leave it and not even do it at all. And so you can see that right, you've, already, you've, already, you've maxed out how much work you need to do. That's a single sort of session feedback to feedback. You could then compare today's deadlifts to last week's deadlifts. But I also think that that can be a little jumpy. You know, you can have a day where you lift in the afternoon versus the morning, and that can have a big yeah. impact on things. You could lift on a Sunday after you had a few beers the night before, and that could impact your performance as well. Like little things like that might have a massive impact, and you might get this seesawing of your velocities. So you might be jumping at shadows. Oh, last week I was really slow, so this week I'm really fast, so I'm going to go for a PB. It's like, yeah, but last week, yeah, you lifted on a Sunday and you had some beers or you had a crap night's sleep, so that will yeah. affect things. I think in that sense, sorry, Damo, in that sense, it's good to look at trends over time. And I like to then compare to, say, a 30-day average. So say yeah. you squat once a week, over 30 days, once a week, you're going to do probably three, maybe four sessions worth of data. If you take the average of those three or four sessions and can compare them to today's session, that gives you a good baseline. And so it's like the average of the last four workouts, I hit 0.6 meters per second. This week, I'm 0.59, slightly below, not enough to worry about. I'll proceed with my plan. Or I'm 0.65. Hey, I'm flying today. I'm killing it. Let's push up. Let's make this a PB day. Let's get after it. And you can make those adjustments on time. So I think comparing yourself to the last session is the easiest way to do. Just go session by session. Try and set a new velocity PB each time you lift. That's a good way to get intent. But there comes a point when you know weight becomes no longer becomes an ideal goal and you actually don't want to lift more weight because maybe you're an endurance athlete and the neural fatigue just isn't worth it. Maybe you're at that point of the law of diminishing returns where you know the benefit of going heavier is starting to level off. So in those situations, yeah, chasing more intent and comparing yourself to, say, a 30-day average is a much, much more valuable and gives you a smoother sort of uh, look at your data. So you can go compared to 30 days, that should be a nice smooth increase by a tiny bit each week. Uh, my sort of question around that is so um, it may not be something that's done in metric, but when you have prescribed VBT, how much um, of a subjective measure do you take into it as well? Obviously, VBT is an objective measure um, of performance, um, but we've spoken about how fatigue, a night on the beers, um, running a half marathon on the weekends, obviously going to affect your performance. Absolutely. Is there something that has could be done to integrate those two values? So you take a measure of your VBT in the session and then also you input... Um, something like an RPE or a well-being sort of wellness to correlate some sort of performance value there as well? Is that something that you've considered for metric? Oh, massively. That's a huge piece of the puzzle. So like I was talking about before, people often get into the VBT camp and they'll program with velocity targets and fatigue cutoffs and power outputs and they'll only use numbers that come out of their device or their you know, velocity tracking technology. It's just another data point. So if you already train with RPEs and you have a good RPE system, your athletes know how to do it, you know how to do it, just add velocity into that. And so keep training and programming based on sets and reps and loads and RPE. Just add velocity as another way of going, well, you say that was a seven, but you actually had a 30% fatigue drop up across that set of six. Your last rep velocity was way below your 30-day average. Are you sure that was just a seven? It looks like it was about mm. a nine. And they go, yeah, coach. I'm actually exhausted. I ran a half marathon on the weekend with a mate because we were doing this thing. I should, probably shouldn't go heavy today. And so you can kind of – subjective measures are prone to what we call anchoring, where you once you've done 120 kilos for seven, it will always feel about a seven. 
maybe a little above, maybe a little below, but very rarely does it go from a seven to a nine. It's hard to re- remove the emotion and just go, yes, that was bloody tough. I don't have many more in me. Whereas with VBT, you can actually measure that and can combine those two things. So people, you don't want to jump at shadows with velocity. You don't want to go, oh, it's down by 5% today. Oh my God, I have to taper. That's the end of the world. I'm never going to make performance gains again. So if you're down by 5% and your RPEs are up a bit, then yeah, you should probably back it off. Or if your subjective um, readiness data, for example, is down as well. And your GPS data on the track was all slower than normal, like you didn't hit good average velocities or whatever it might be. Yeah, you might be a little bit burnt out. Today might be the day to back things off. And so it's hard to cheat your velocities on your lifts, whereas it is very easy to cheat your RPEs if you know that your top weights are going to be at stake. If you know that when you tell the coach the RPE is high, he doesn't let you go as hard, then you're more likely to go, oh, no, it's only a seven. I'm good. Carry on. Um, whereas VBT can add to that and give you another data point to go, you sure that you're a seven on that lift today? Maybe we should go and reassess that and make, the, and it's a conversation starter. So if you do, if you are lucky enough to have a coach or be lucky enough to work in an environment where you have someone helping you make those decisions, you can go, here's your velocity data. Here's what you said your RPE is. They don't seem to match up today. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Or they do match up. Let's deload. Or they do match up. Let's push on. Like they can, they can, it's not always about them being contrasting and having a fight about it. Sometimes it is just RPEs are high, velocities are low. Today's not a good day. Or vice versa, RPEs are down from normal, velocities are up, you're flying. Let's, let's max out today. Let's get after it. And that's one of like the perils of RPE and, and the subjective <laughs> stuff in a way. And it's something that I guess as a coach, I'm constantly trying to work out the best way to implement it because I think a lot of the time, players or athletes they just rattle off a number just to mm. get you to leave them alone and without yes. without really thinking about it it's just it's really automatic sometimes and you i think that's the importance of uh, the coaching comes in because you've got to ask the right questions to make sure you're getting the meaningful data and that constant education of what the actual of what the numbers actually mean um, and i think mm-hmm. that's where your gps data or your velocity tracking can be really important because um, it helps to supplement that, those and give that sort of well-rounded holistic picture as opposed to just the subjective on its own or the objective on its own because sometimes it doesn't always, as you said, marry up. So I think, yeah, yeah plays a really important role. Yeah, I think the, the bias of using the subjective measure, especially in team sports, it's very much a herd mentality. If someone overhears what someone says, then <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was an eight, I'll give an eight, even though it was only a five for them. But also the amount of times you do have to repeat what the values actually relate to or mean, um, obviously having that um, a measure, um, as we said, with GPS or a VBT measure that actually correlates with that and we know what their maximums and minimums are, we can actually have that. Um, qualitative data that matches up. So I think that's a really good tool. Um, sort of moving on from that, though, um, if we were to sort of apply this in our um, our programming, Jacob, sort of what are the key differences? How would we go about implementing this sort of in, in our pre-season, then our in-season training, um, the VBT values? Yeah, so I, I'll address the first part of that question, which is what would need to change? And the answer is nothing. You wouldn't have – if you already program – three by fives into three by fours into three, but you know, you'd a wave cycle method or an undulating method or whatever it might be. You really don't have to change anything to incorporate velocity. You could just keep going the way you are, start recording velocity as well, 
And then maybe after a few weeks, start looking at that data and looking at trends. So looking at numbers compared to previous efforts. In terms of in-season and off-season, I think one of the best uses for velocity-based training uh, for it's particularly team sport athletes in season is fatigue management and volume control. So you might have programmed to do three sets of six, but one day that weight that was planned to do for six reps is actually going to be only a five RM. So they physically mm. will not get that six rep. You don't know that before they've done it, but that's how their status is going into that set. They're a bit burnt out. You already got them working above 90%, but they're a bit more fatigued today. So that 95% has become 99%. It's become a 9.9 RPE. So velocity-based training, you can use uh, fatigue measures, which is the difference between typically your first or your fastest rep of a set and the last rep of a set. And the difference between those gives you a percentage fatigue. So first rep is uh, 1.15 meters per second. Last rep is uh, 0.83. That might give you a 26% fatigue. In a lot of typical strength exercises, uh, a 40% fatigue is typically indicative of a set to failure. So if you reach 40% fatigue, for most lifters with most techniques and most exercises, there's exceptions, that will be a set to failure. So that will be a 10 RPE or a zero RIR, reps in reserve. So what you can do is before the set goes in, you go, okay, we're going to do three by six today at the weight we'd already planned, but you're either going to do six reps or 25% fatigue, whichever happens first. And so on that day they came in, they only had five that we didn't know about because we couldn't test that. You can't do that just by looking, looking at a tired athlete. That day they were going to get five reps at 40% fatigue. They'll only do three or four. So instead of three by six, it becomes three sets of four, four, and then three. And so the reps have kind of been regulated by their readiness on that day. And so if they're in season, we've now created a bit more space in their recovery window, in their physiology to allow them to recover for on-field training in two days' time or captain's run on the weekend or their next strength session or game, whatever it might be. Whereas had we just gone, we're going to go three by six and they get six, six and five and they're all RPE 9.5 or 10 even, then we've just dug them a massive hole that they didn't need. And they're in season, they've got a game in two days. That's just going to keep going down and down and down. So one session where we cut 30 or 40% of our volume but still get good intensity is going to be nothing in the grand scheme of things. Whereas one session where we smash them and go to failure on three sets or really close to failure on three sets, that could dig a hole they won't get out of for the rest of the season. If they're, you know, if they're playing big minutes in a high-intensity sport like rugby or football, they'll be gassed for weeks. It'll be hard to come back from that. So I think that's one really good way is just you know, manage your fatigue. And so we've got a plan to do three by six, but we can be flexible on that in the day-to-day. And so I think trying to keep your intensity, trying to keep the load high, but dropping the volume with using fatigue cutoffs is a really good way to make, maintain strength, maintain power, but also just give them a little room on those weeks when they need it to adjust. Just a question that just popped into my head. Um, like with the, you spoke about like the fatigue drop off and trying to, um, I guess, lower that volume depending on how they're feeling in a period that might be like a, a pre-season where you're trying to build, would you, Use that fatigue drop-off to end the set early, but still keep the volume the same and just push those reps to extra sets, if that makes sense. So say you had three by six, you might do, I don't know, five, five, and then four. Quick math, that's 13. You've got, but then you've you've got four, four reps left or whatever, yep. Yeah. Would you then just add those reps to the next set so you're still getting the same volume, but you're keeping the quality of the set as yeah. high as possible? So you've kind of got a bit of... 
a set approach going on now. So you're kind yeah. of doing accidental clusters by breaking your three by six into now four by four or whatever it might be and using fatigue at the end. So another strategy, and these, these, are things, these are all just tactics. These are all just little applications of velocity. You need to play with it. You try it. Your athletes hate it. You get rid of it and you try a different one. Or you try it and you find all your athletes are now not doing anywhere near enough work. So you need to up it from 25% to 30%, for example. So in answer to your question, yeah, you could, instead of programming three by six, you could just say, we need to get, what's three by six, 18. We need to get 18 working reps above a certain weight. So yep. you know, keep them above 85 or 90% of their one RM, whatever you might be chasing. Or it has to be within 95% of last week's weight. So they can't back it off too much. But every rep has to be above uh, 0.4 meters per second. So they start set, yeah. 0. 0.5, 0. 0.48, 0. 0.46, 0. 0.42, stop. Rest for 90 seconds, rest for two minutes, start again. And so every time they reach you know, 0. 0.4 to 0. 0.45, you cut the set and you move them on to the next one. So yeah, so they might go 5, 4, 4, 3, 3, 2, and that's their set. Yeah. And then they've got those 18 reps. They've just done it in a different way that's maintained each of those reps above a certain power or velocity output and kept them away from really grindy stuff, which for this example was under 0.4 as decided by an arbitrary cutoff or their own load velocity profile or your eyeballs, whatever it might be. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you can also, as a, as a different, sorry guys, sorry Rob, as a different strategy, you could actually flip the velocity, the fatigue cutoff. So instead of saying it's either 25% or six reps, whichever comes first, you could say it's eight reps or 35%, whichever comes last. So you have to keep going beyond 35% fatigue, even if you hit your eight reps. You go, okay, well, that weight wasn't heavy enough. Let's go heavier. So in off-season, you might go for a high-volume phase. You might deliberately be chasing more fatigue, getting closer to that 40% because you want to push your athletes and get some of those grindy reps in, get them, whether it's chasing a hypertrophy goal or maybe you've got powerlifting and you actually want them to be grinding through harder sets. I don't know. Yeah. On the situation, but you can flip it. And so instead of going, keep it under 25%, it's like the reps don't count until you reach 25%. Yeah, I suppose that's that way of knowing that, knowing your athletes and knowing your players and who you need to push. And there will there's always some that, and never working as hard as what they probably could be. And I think, um, I think I've heard you say before, Jacob, like general population um, clients or, or, you know, everyday, everyday Joes at the gym that they probably don't work as hard as what they, as what they can. And they need that extra push to almost, almost see what they can actually get out of themselves. I don't think it's a um, laziness thing. I think it's just a lack of belief sometimes. Mm. That's, a, that's a good use of it as well. I think it ties in nicely to Damo's point about um, the skewed RPEs. Like every second workout, you're explaining what 10 RPE yeah. <laughs> So they're doing, they're doing their bicep because they're doing their dumbbell bench press and they're going, eh, it's about an eight. And you go, okay, here's $1,000. Could you do 10 more? <laughs> Away they go. <laughs> and it's like, you, they just don't know where their limit is. And so yeah. the velocity-based training allows you to go, well, one, lift it faster. So try and beat your velocity each week. So lift with good intent because that's a big part of this is you've got to lift. You can't just go through the motions the set gets a little, um, you know, a little later and you start exploding. Then you've got to be giving it good effort from the start, which is just a great way to train whether you track velocity or not. But also it allows those athletes to go, okay, I want you to push this set to like, till you can't do any more. For a gen pop person, you know, make sure it's safe, make sure they've got good technique and they're not hurting themselves. But you'd be surprised how many 4 by 8s become 4 by 15s or by 18s when you actually give them a crack and give them a chance and go, okay, we're not even close to your limit. Let's either lift with more power and lift with more intent or let's do a little more volume. Let's crank it up and go to 30% fatigue or whatever it might be. Yeah. Beautiful. Or well, we might uh, progress forward into 
maybe a bit more of a, a general sort of discussion as to, I guess, the pre-season coming up, Jacob, for a lot of people. There's, yeah. yep. Given COVID, we've um, basically had a two-year hiatus, I'd say, from regular you know, programming, conditioning, match play, all, all that good stuff. And so we, all of us here, Damo and Sean, we've discussed this um, ourselves off air about how potentially that could be a, a big issue for, for semi-professional clubs. And, and I know you've dealt with this level a lot. What sort of problems do you see, I guess, coming into you know, 2022 and potentially uh, COVID for a year and how we can address some of these problems now? Yeah, um, most of the issues I see actually aren't aren't gym related. I think with the gym stuff, particularly your, your strength based stuff, it's non elastic. Uh, yep. It's not high speed mostly. So if you just you know your first few sessions back, be really conservative. So if you're normally lifting 150 kilos, and you think, oh, maybe I just do 120. It's like no, do less. Maybe 100. No, do less. We're talking you know 40, 50, 60 kilos for those first few sessions. And then you can come back quite quickly after that in the gym. So if your first week back squatting is only 40 kilos, don't feel like it's going to take you another five years to get back to 150 kilos. It's going to go 40, 60, 80, 100, three or four workouts in a row, bang, bang, bang. So you're going to get that back quite quickly. But taking your time and getting a few of those easy sessions under your belt will help you also simultaneously get your running under your belt in the right way. And I see a lot more of the risk, I'd like your opinions, I think this is my thoughts anyway, um, is I see a lot more of the risk in the running sector where yeah. athletes go, cool, club training, let's go out, let's go kick for goal for 50 minutes, let's go do running, kicking drills, let's go do match play for an hour. Two hours later, it's like, yeah, back with the team, we're back at it, awesome. Yeah, yeah once a week for about a month and then you're going to hammies, stressies, tendons, all mm. that sort of stuff is going to be done because the intensity we get when we train as a team is just so much higher than the intensity we get when we train our own. I don't mm. care who you ask, you train harder in a team or in a club yeah. group environment. I go out and I do my 400s and, you know, they're tough and whatever. But if I go run 400s with a mate who's a little bit quicker than me or who I'd like to show that I'm a little bit quicker than, that's, <laughs> yeah. a, whole new level, that's a whole new level of intensity. And, and so the RP scale just changes. So if you're calling everything on your own in RP9 and all of a sudden you're running five seconds faster on all your 400s and it's still in an RP9, you were only at a seven before. Yeah. And that extra intensity, I think, is where a lot of the risk is. The extra intensity and the extra volume mm. with the running. Mate, would you, say, would you say that's akin to running a half marathon off no training? That sort of stuff? <laughs> I would say that is a textbook example. <laughs> yeah, that is a massive violation of the uh, acute to chronic workload ratio. You always are in a hole right now. I think Ooh, yeah. it's more of a case of do as I say, not as I do with these boys. But yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was yeah. for a good cause. That's, that's the, the reason behind it. Yeah, and sometimes, like, sometimes we get so obsessed with that. Again, sometimes we get so obsessed with our numbers and it's like mm. you just sometimes you want to set yourself a challenge. I guess you mm. guys aren't getting drafted anytime soon to the <laughs> AFL, so nah. you know, Colin Water Carlton will be disappointed when you sign your contract. So I wouldn't, it's not too stressful. But Maybe would you, draft for these folks, <laughs> reckon, but yeah. Uh, one thing I would do for these guys though, is I would now be treating the next three weeks mm. like you've got a red flag on everything you do. So you're in, you have primed your body for a, you haven't started the stressy yet, but you have primed yeah. your body to get a stressy yeah. if you were to continue mm. on running a, a half marathon every fortnight for the next few weeks. Yeah. So I just dial um, back yeah. a few weeks and then do a nice smart reload after you've yeah. recovered. I mean, that's the, the, the problem and the trouble sometimes is when coming back from, um, I guess, to, to start any pre-season, let alone a COVID-interrupted season, is that 
you come out firing and ready to go, but the problems that you're going to face, they're not going to, they're not going to show up straight away. And yeah. so you, so you think you think you might be okay, but then you get three, four, eight weeks down the track, and that's when they start to pop up, and you think, shit, maybe maybe we've gone a bit too hard here. Often you don't realize. Often you don't connect that injury back to when it happened too. Mm. So because yeah. because there's eight weeks gap between your first two weeks of hard training or your half marathon, and then the injury showing up, you go, oh, it must have been that night out that I wore those tight shoes. That's what's caused my feet to hurt a lot. Like no, you set this up a month ago. The shoes had nothing to do with it. Yeah. You set this up a month ago, and it's only now starting to show up because your body's adaptation cycles are behind our memories. Like it's a little slower than our ability to remember what training we've done. Yeah, I think you made a great point before as well about the intensity of things. Like I know having done some virtual pre-seasons with footy clubs the past couple of years, every man and his dog's trying to run 10Ks out on the pavement and the intensity is quite low. And then you get back to training and we do a couple of, you know, short intervals and everyone's cooked. So I think it's a lot of people at home are going for this volume, volume, volume rather than the intensity. And that's the big thing. Um, and then mm-hmm. coming back as well, like you said earlier about the hammies and quads, just kicking the footy, like being mm-hmm. in lockdown, a lot of people have been by themselves or only with another person. So if you go for a kick for, you know, 20 minutes, you might kick the ball you know, 50 times, but you get back to training and you, you know, you've got a hundred kicks, you know, on the, on the run as well. Yeah, on, so on the run. Run with intensity, yep. 50 handballs and you've got some tackles and stuff like that and you've gone from zero to 100 so quickly. So I think an important thing would be um, sort of like a return to kicking program or something like that, which I've seen implemented because so many people are going to just go from zero to 100 so quickly and that's that's where it starts. And like you said, four weeks down the track, you go, oh, I've got a hamstring strain. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that sets up other things too. So you go from barely any casual kicking to high intensity on the run kicking. All of a sudden, you're, if you're right footer, your right rec fem is going to be way tighter and that's going to pull on your pelvis and that's going to have effects on your lower back, which is going to trickle on into your hamstrings or into your thoracic or your neural tension. Like there's going to be all these other flowing things that you just won't connect back to. Mm. That, day, that day, you and a few mates went down to the, the field and jumped up a whole bunch of barrels on from 50 and we're doing these kicking drills on the run and doing a whole bunch of pickups off the ground, like getting down to that slouch position to do pickups. All this stuff adds up. And we're just talking about, this is just specific to footy. Like if you start talking about basketball and volleyball with rebounding yeah. load, shooting load, uh, scrimmage stuff, like it all, all these different things are affected. So it doesn't mean you have to go and measure every single layup you do or every single handball. It's just go, okay, I'm way, what I would do is I would just go, I'm way less conditioned than I realize. Like, I think I'm unfit. Add another 50% of unfitness onto that, the lack of conditioning, onto that lack of conditioning. And go, okay, what would that athlete do? Mm. They'd go and they'd kick for 20 minutes. Stationary, under 30 meters, maybe off a step or two. That's it. And then they'd call it a day. They'd go do some running and then that's it. They're done. They wouldn't go for hours just because the weather's nice and you finally got your freedom. Be a little smarter at this stuff. Do handball, stationary handball drills. I reckon you could do that for four hours and not have any problems. It's when you start doing high-intensity sprints, change direction, tackling stuff, that's when the trouble comes. Mate, there's a, an issue I see coming up is when people do, they go back and do a test first up. So that might be if yeah. you want to talk footy or rugby league or whatever it might be, rugby union any sort of outdoor sport, and they do a yo-yo or a beat test or a 30-15, whatever it might be, that to me like rings a bit of an alarm bells early, particularly if you've done nothing beforehand because obviously 
that's a maximal test and maximal exertion and all the, uh, the potentially bad things that happen along those lines. Is there anything that you recommend for people to do before that stage, a couple of weeks before, and then I guess directly after? Because things that happen before that, it's going to hopefully help the test itself. Yeah, are we talking about for the coach to make sure their athletes don't get hurt or for the athletes that nah, do, they, I reckon so they athletes, do well on the test? Yeah, yeah, because the coach yeah, will the coach will run the test no matter what because they love they love testing and they love you know enforcing some some power and authority, but for the athlete, I guess. Yeah, okay. So the test is happening, it's on day one or day two yeah. of training, no matter yeah. what. You just you've just got to be ready. Um I would uh, I wouldn't worry too much about a taper, like in mm-hmm. the week or so before the session. What I'd make sure is I'm getting a good blend of running. So I'm getting some long stuff some interval stuff and some speed stuff. So you're ready for, and what I'd be doing as well, if you're doing like a yo-yo type test with change of direction, I'd be doing some change of direction. Mm. It's so easy to go run, you know, hard 400s, which are indeed tough when you run them hard, but because it's all just a gentle bend, you don't get any of that hard cutting stuff. And so if you're not very good at cutting, that is a skill and it has its own energetic demand. So I would be practicing your cutting work as well, doing some, you know, on the cricket pitch, doing some 20 repeats back and forth at speed for sprint work and also for conditioning. Like I do you know, eight of them back to back and get used to doing that into fatigue. Not Maybe not do eight on your first session, but maybe just start with four, mm. maybe six, maybe get a little faster and then add them up because that is going to be a factor as well. So I'd be practicing parts of the test. I'd be breaking down whatever test you expect to be doing and doing elements of it and be practicing that as a skill and also to get your body ready for that stress. All right, so this is the part I'm really excited about to talk in this episode is the metric, the app. I've got a real fascination with the app construction and and I guess the idea and where it sort of originated from, mate. So if you maybe give us an overview, I guess, to what metric does. I'll be spoken about it, but if you want to give your, I guess, your spiel about how it sort of operates and runs and then we can sort of pick your brain and, and talk about the different technical aspects and the designing aspects as well, we'll, we'll focus on that. But, yeah, if you want to go and, and give us a bit of a rundown. Yeah, so Metric is the first computer vision automatic velocity tracker for the gym. So there are apps that do manual tracking where you have to measure your range of motion, then you record, then it will tell you velocity. There are ones that kind of ballpark your velocity, but none of them actually precisely measure you know, next to real-world movement data and so actually give you the actual mean velocity of a rep. So it works by you grab the, the app and you press record, select the exercise, enter the weight, point that at the side-on view of the barbell. You have to be doing it with standard Olympic plates at this stage. We're working on other options, but that's the, the limitation at the moment. Side-on to the lift, press record, you do your set, you press stop, and it'll automatically give you a rep count, uh, mean velocity, range of motion, power data, for example. We're adding those sort of features down the track, and you'll also be able to review the video as well. So you can then save that video to camera roll, share it to Instagram, tell all your friends, share it with your coach for, for feedback yeah. as well. Um, and then you get that data. Version one won't allow you to save any data at this stage because we still need to build those features. So this will be a single set analysis. You'll then have to either screenshot the data, put it into a spreadsheet before you can then go and do another set. So it's a little manual in the back end of dealing with the data, but it's fully automatic up to receiving the data for single set. So you'll be able to see best rep velocity, set averages, fatigue. So that fatigue metric we've talked about before, you'll be able to see that during the set and after the set as well. So that's what it does. Um, we've got a patent uh, or we're pending on a patent on the um, the technology behind it. So the actual computer vision system, the way it tracks the barbell and the way it does that and determines end of rep, start of rep, all those kind of things. Uh, and we're in late stage validation. So we're, we'll publish some stuff soon once we've done our sort of uh, motion capture 
comparison day, um, but it's looking pretty good. It's looking like it's within 5% of real-world data, which is, I think, good enough. Um, so mm. if, you're, if it's consistently doing that and not giving any of those random outlier data uh, reps that you often get with uh, accelerometers, for example, um, and it matches up to reality, I think you can use that data to, to pick trends, make, you know, make performance assessments and, and adjustments, and then also compete. You can compete with yourself or other athletes as you go. Um, the process on how we got to this point was uh, I've always loved VBT and I would train with my brother Davey and we would talk about having to use the strings and go, oh, these bloody strings in the way and it's always, you have to set this up and it doesn't connect to Bluetooth and that sort of stuff. And so we tried to build our own and we tried to build our own string device and, you know, had the 3D printers running and all that kind of thing and kind of got it working, but it was going to be fiddly and it wasn't any better than the existing ones. And so then we kind of shelved the idea for a bit. And then when we came back to the idea, computer vision technology on phones had gotten a lot better. So the ability to use the camera to get really good real-world data had gotten a lot better. And so Davies just said, like, what if we did computer vision? What if we just used the phone on your on your iPhone or whatever, point at the set and record it that way? And so that was 19, nearly 20 months ago now that we sort of said that and he started working on that. And then we're now at a point where yeah, it's pretty bloody accurate and works really well. So the problem was that VBT is a really good idea, but it's not massively and widely adopted because there's those limitations of hardware, mm. cost, uh, not knowing what to do with the data. And so we wanted to solve all those problems. So the first problem to solve was get rid of the hardware, make it phone-based only, so you can get it on your phone in minutes and, and demo it in the gym in real time. And then the next problem we need to solve is making it user-friendly. So that you know, like the example before, some person at a footy club down the road hears about this, likes doing their training in the gym, they get the app, they should roughly know what to do with it within maybe a blog post or two or after watching a 90-second video. So that's kind of where we're heading with that stuff. So my big job is to educate and to create that content and make that stuff practical by coming on podcasts like this and talking shop about VBT and why I think it's cool and some different use cases for it and then giving people the tool so they can actually start doing that, which um, is where we're heading next. So the next stage for us is a private beta. So we're going to launch a private beta um, with uh, people who joined our waitlist on the metric.coach website. Uh, and that will hopefully be going up in the next few weeks. So we're really close to doing that. So um, if in time of recording, it's late, mid to late October, we're hoping to have it up first couple of weeks of November is when we'll yeah, do that. Right. And, then, and then the app will launch live to the public not long after that. So pre-Christmas is the plan to have this up and in the world so people can start training with it. It's really exciting, I think. And I think the... Um Biggest problem, as you mentioned, is accessibility to VBT, and that's why it doesn't doesn't really get used. And from the sounds of it, yeah. it sounds like this will be a, a good way to sort of get that entry level into it, which is nice because I know, like, um, practically, I've never really used it either purely because it's so difficult to, you know, get those devices and it's, um, you know, not always feasible. But, um, yeah, this sound this. Sounds exciting. I've heard you mention there's a like a coach and an athlete version yep. of the app. How are they going to sort of be integrated and, and flow together? Yeah, so I suppose uh, the app will be fundamentally the same. So yep. uh, we would use the same version of the app, but the coach version would be more like the coach can then review their athlete's data. Right. So, okay. Say, for example, uh, the, a college coach over in America they don't, the team doesn't come together to train until a specific date, like the season's they're, like they're banned from training together with their, either their team, their sports coach or their gym coach until a certain date. So while they're back home over the summer, for example, 
you could give all your athletes a version of the app and have them join your team or your club squad whatever you want yeah. to call it within the app and the coach would then be able to review their lifting from for example a web platform so on the computer you log into right. lsu whatever it might be coach at lsu.com and then you'll be able to see oh yeah Brittany did a workout today uh she did four by six cleans you can go review those sets look at the velocities she then did her back squat she then the note saying uh knees are still a little sore so she left her such and such alone and didn't do that exercise and you can then comment back Hey, Brittany, these cleans look really clean and sharp. Great job. Uh, on your squats, you're going a bit too deep or not deep enough. Make sure you watch that. Velocity is looking good. Keep up the great work. Yeah. Something like that. And so the, that would allow the coach to then be able to review multiple athletes within the one place. Yeah, um, I guess that's, um, sorry, I guess that's kind of like the, the online um, programming platforms like Team Builder and Train Heroic and things like that. Somewhat. Um, it won't be that feature rich yet, so you won't be yeah. able to do your full programming. So it'll be yeah. more specific to the velocity stuff. Um, but it would allow you. What what the big difference is because it's a video first. It allows you not just to go, oh, they did their sets and reps, which you could do from the couch, just ticking it off on the team builder or whatever. <laughs> it be. This will have the video component, so you'll have your data, you'll have the video of the set, and you go, yeah, it was only 100 kilos, and you get to see the plates and see that it is in fact 100 kilos on the bar yeah. that the athlete is saying. So it'll help with retention, things like that. Um, you could potentially, we're thinking about things like leaderboards and motivational type tools within there as well. So that if you're all part of a team, if you're all part of the LSU uh, metric team, the athletes would be able to see their teammates lifting and maybe potentially be able to see their scores as well. So you can make it a bit of com competition and banter on that stuff as well. Um, so we're not sure exactly how that coach's app is going to work. That's going to be a bit down the track, the individual versions first. Yep. But effectively, the, the coach's feature set or subscription model, whatever you might be, would be instead of, you know, one user pays for it on a monthly basis on their phone, the coach or the club might pay for it and then give the athletes access to their platform. And it might be charged on an athlete model, like a certain number of dollars per athlete you have within your organization. So it's really just a pricing structure thing. So sometimes coaches want to use this and give it to all their athletes. Other time an individual athlete wants to use it and use it in their own training. And then they might just have a share mode where they like sort of do like uh, diary sharing and share their results with an individual coach on a one-to-one -one basis. So we want to cover all these different kinds of situations. So you have maybe, for example, an online powerlifting coach who has a few athletes who VBT might be right for and goes, okay, you should, I'm going to sign up for this metric. I'm going to take it out of your, you know, your weekly um, coaching fees to me. Here's your access. I've got diary sharing so I can see your account and I can see what you're lifting and we'll provide notes and we'll go back and forth within metric. And that will be our communication tool, if you will, around technique, loading decisions, RPE, velocities. And then the individual version, you would just have your data on your phone and you'd be able to review your sets compared to your sets. And maybe maybe you can share that via social media or via text or WhatsApp or whatever with, with a group or with friends. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question about, I guess, just like technology in general. Mm. What sort of challenges have you, like obviously where... I know you're pretty big in the technology space and gyms and stuff. What sort of challenges have you found with trying to implement technology, whether it be in the gym or, you know, that private sector sub elite. And I guess the, now the increased presence of phones on the gym floor, like, has that been something that's been a, a hurdle to navigate? Yeah. Initially we were very hesitant for the phones on the gym floor we didn't, we didn't want it to happen. We thought it would slow people down, become disconnected, all that sort of stuff. For the most part, though, we've actually been quite impressed with how little it's impacted 
the process using like a train, we use train heroic, using a train heroic software in the gym actually hasn't been that much of an issue. We find our athletes, when they're working hard, they're working hard. And we have a good environment in our gym. There's lots of chat with the coaches and back and forth, no headphones. So athletes are kind of forced to engage with the environment, not just sit there scrolling Instagram between sets. Yeah. And we also superset a lot of our work. So we keep the work pace up a bit. So there's no time for them to really be chatting or sitting there scrolling Instagram as they work. Just a quick basic question from me. I think you sort of touched on it, but um, is it preferred that you use a tripod or resting it against something? Does that affect the validity or the reliability that you've come across so far in the testing? Because I know most people aren't going to just carry a tripod into the gym. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd be surprised. In some, in some powerlifting gyms, there are just tripods living around the gym because they record every set. It's already an ingrained behaviour. You're right, though. Uh, tripods can be a bit burdensome, and the point was to go away from hardware, not towards hardware. Um, so the plan is to build it so that it can handle pretty much anything you shoot with a phone reasonably vertical. Like, I wouldn't be going shooting, you know, your squats over there with the phone laid back like this on the floor. But if you can get it reasonably vertical, rest up against a tripod, against a dumbbell or your water bottle, something like that would be enough to capture the data. It's important that it's side-on and it's reasonably level with the barbell. It doesn't have to be... Exactly, but you know, there's a bit of wiggle room. We'll continue working on edge cases as well. So we'll continue refining its ability to go wider and further back and in different positions relative to the bar. So that's something we'll continue. And the nice thing, because it's software, we can continue building that out as we go through the private beta and then into the launch. Um, but we, do, from what we're seeing early on, it doesn't really affect it um, in terms of precision. So as long as you're kind of within that bandwidth from the side and as long as you're reasonably vertical with the phone, you get a pretty good result. Well, all right, so that might be a, a good lead-in, Jacob. Do you want to maybe give an outline, so we might wrap up from here, do you want to maybe give an outline of the rollout of Metric and, and the processes and people are interested how they can you know, contact you and get, get involved with it? Yeah, so the best way to get in touch with me is via the Instagram, which is at vbtcoach, all one word. Uh, that's where I'm posting a whole bunch of, at the moment, kind of theoretical into practical ideas about VBT. But as we launch Metric and as I've got something to play with in the gym, I'll start sharing practical ideas. Like this is how I would use this to do this, achieve this thing. And there's so many different ways to use VVD. It's, you, you, you might go to my page and you might scroll through and go, well, there are so many different ideas here. Mm. You don't have to do all of them. In fact, I would recommend something with maybe one, maybe two ideas. Just compete with yourself over time. Try and be faster than you were last week. That's a great starting point. And then you might start using a third average. You might go a little more fancy and sort of build your way into it like that. And then you can start layering concepts on. So that's me, BBT Coach uh, on Instagram is where I'm most active. Also on YouTube, I believe it's also called BBT Coach on there. Uh, and then in terms of metric, the wait list is now open for the private beta. So if you want to get on it when we very first launch it in the next few weeks is the plan, um, then you need to sign up for that. And that is the website, www.metric.com metric m-e-t-r-i-c dot coach c-o-a-c-h so that's our website we're also on instagram under that handle metric metric vbt um, but the website is metric coach that's where you can join the wait list we'll begin details out uh, very shortly about how to join the private beta and get on that uh, and then once you're on that wait list we'll also keep you updated as we get close to the public launch which will hopefully be this side of christmas uh, we need to add a few more features. So we've got the prototype, which is functioning and doing quite well in terms of validity and reliability, and we're doing a lot of testing with that. We have a few more features we want to add to that to help people get more out of the data. So it's all good and well to be able to record precise data, but if you don't have anything to do with it, that's a bit of a waste of time, so we'll be doing that. And then I'll be writing 
and videoing and, and creating a lot of content about some of the real simple practical things you can do with version one of metric um, this side of the year. So hopefully as Victoria and Sydney gets back in the gym and as Australia opens back up, you'll be able to start training hard with velocity over your preseason for your strength and power work. Uh, and then in the new year, at some stage, we'll be adding the paid features. So it'll be a database where you can save all your videos, save all your data, compare yourself to your, your previous efforts. You'll have all that context and all that real-world data to use in your training in real time. So we're going to make a, a nice, precise computer vision system, but we're also going to make an app that's just, oh, yeah, squats, 60 kilos, record, cool. That was faster than the last time. Carry on. And you can review all that stuff in real time without having to hunt around in a web dashboard or get your computer out in the middle of the gym. You just got to do it all from your iPhone. So that's where we're heading. So uh, no exact dates on any of that, but it'll be yeah private beta in the next few weeks, public 1.0 launch, uh, first version to the app store, which will be free for everyone to download sometime before Christmas. And then a paid uh, subscription service where you can store your data and review that and use that for performance training and tracking in the new year, 2022 which is not that far away now. It's no, scary. it's not. <laughs> scary, isn't it, mate? That sounds really exciting and it sounds absolutely outstanding. Credit to you and Core Advantage and Davey as well for getting it to, to this point. It's yeah, unbelievable. Can't wait to see your progress on it thus far. So, mate, it's sure. credit that. to you. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much. Brilliant. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And, like, we don't really have a baggy green to give out, you know, as, a, as cap number one, unfortunately. We might try and find some caps, actually. We'll do the merch, next merch order. We might send you one with number one on it. But, uh, zero, zero, one. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Mate, absolutely. So, mate, really appreciate you coming on. And, and thanks for giving us a lot of info about VBT as well. Like, Sean and I were, t- were talking uh, off air about how little information we can find in, in textbooks and, mm. and how – I guess how superficial it was. So appreciate you coming on and, and talking with such passion and enthusiasm about it as well. So really appreciate that. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I, I like that being number one. That was my playing number yeah. back in the days when I played footy and basketball. Was number one. So I like that. There you go, mate. Well, number one, number one on the uh, podcast and number one in our hearts, mate. So thanks very much. Oh, and, uh, thanks, guys. Off head. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll wrap up for this episode of the Triax Performance Podcast. Once again, thanks to Jacob for coming on. You can check out all the information related to the metric app in our show notes, and we'll have that around there as well. So look forward to his progress uh, coming in the forthcoming months ahead. But thanks very much, Jacob, and until next time, we'll see you later.